expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. It's episode 106 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where I gotta say, Nick, I think that the Netflix and chill game of Mr. Freeze and Captain Cold is probably on point. <laughs> well, the only thing was that with Freeze, though, Netflix and chill, it's like, is it just him sitting in front of his wife's tube just watching her float? Oh, that could be. But, you know, there's no pausing, there's no rewinding. <laughs> no! Nope. I mean, if you're going to binge something, I guess. Just suspended animation, that's all that's his favorite type of animation. <laughs> yes, it is. We... <laughs> We tend to have different preferences. I'm James with them alongside. The Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. And dude, last week was so, so fun. Man, I, you know, we say that a lot. And I'm sure that people say, do they ever not have fun? No, we don't never not have fun. Because, you know, talking Power Rangers with Kyle Higgins, how could you not have fun doing that? I mean, even I had fun. And I'm not a huge Power Rangers fan. Well, I mean, you know, we're talking. Because, again, one thing I love about our interviews is that we get people to say things that sometimes we never really think about until then. Like when he brought up the whole thing between Tommy and the Winter Soldier and how they're similar. I'm like, oh my god, that's so, you know, it's it makes you, like, your mind just explode. And again, yeah. talking about Power Rangers and just, you know, the Zords, what we would drive and then how, you know, my whole having to get rid of all my Zords, you know, it's fun. And, and you know, I mean, and when I'm at the gym, when I'm on, like, when I'm doing cardio, I watch Power Rangers on my Netflix app. And I, because there's like 60 episodes a season, so I'm like, okay, I can get through five yeah. like an hour of running, so... You know, we're good. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a good plan. And, of course, the new issue, issue number two, comes out on April the 6th. So maybe you're listening to this before the 6th or on the 6th. You can get that at your local shop then. But, dude, speaking of big guests, we've got a full house Whoa. this week. Well, yeah, it's full house because we have a bunch of people from, of course, Sci-Fi's Wynonna Earp. They're going to be on this week to talk to us about the new show, which actually premieres, if you're hearing this today, which, of course, you are, tonight which is Friday, April 1st at 10 p.m. on Sci-Fi. We're going to have Bo Smith, who is the creator and he's the writer of the Winona Herb comics. Uh, we're going to have, of course, Melly Scrofano, who, of course, plays Winona on the show, and also Emily Andros, who is the executive producer and the showrunner for Winona Herb. And yeah, man, lots of guests this week. First time on, on the show we've had three guests on at once, so it's going to be See, pretty, pretty fun. We're getting some pretty, pretty cool topics. I think it's definitely going to be a party. And if you're not familiar with Winona Earp, of course, you can always hear my review from a couple of weeks ago yep. on the show when I reviewed both Smith's uh, Winona Earp number one. But of course, you know, she is the descendant of Wyatt Earp. She's one of the, you know, one of the one of the descenders of, of that family. So now she's going back home to her hometown of Purgatory. They don't necessarily want her there, but she's got to take down some... Pretty interesting characters, and we'll let you listen to the interview to find out who that is and, you know, the history. The comic's actually 20 years old, guys, so if you're not familiar with it, there's a lot to draw from. Exactly, exactly. That's going to do it for our intro, but come next. It's for a reading of two new comics we're talking about this week. Stay tuned. Hey, this is writer Kyle Higgins, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, comic book nerds, it's time we pull out our long boxes. We pull out two nice comics this week because it's time for what reading, of course, this segment is always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragona Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob when you're here and 
get all the great things that you need for your nerd life and the nerds that you love. So, James, I'm going to have you go first because I'm going to do my review a little bit different and I need to prepare. Okay, so you get your, find your center. And I'm going to talk about Gold Key Alliance number one from Dynamite. And it's written by Philip Hester. Brent Peebles, Peebles does, does the art. Colorist Mar- Morgan Hickman. Letters by Simon Boland. And one of the covers by Felipe Massafera, who does awesome work on this cover, by the way. Now, remember when you read Justice Inc., Nick? This is kind of like Justice Inc., but with a different team. Okay. So let me run down the team number team members real quick. First, it's Magnus, who's kind of a secret agent, and he sort of monitors military intelligence and robotics kind of stuff. Okay. One name that you'll definitely recognize is Turok. Yes. And he's doing a reality TV show, actually, and he's a tribal park ranger in this book. Oh, that's fantastic. And there are dinosaurs in the books. There's a there's a part with triceratops and poachers and stuff that was very intense. Solar is another uh is another member of the group. She's a young doctor in uh Africa that has certain powers that are actually pretty cool that I don't want to spoil because there's a nice little spot for her as well. And Samson, who's kind of a homeless guy who um kind of rants at monsters that aren't really there in new york city okay so he's just like a regular homeless person in new york city then yeah so pretty much just your regular average homeless person in new york city and actually the book kind of starts with him and it kind of sets the stage for that now i can't really dive into this book too much because it's it reads very much like a zero issue even though it's the first issue where everybody kind of gets their own little introduction their own little piece right so you start off with Samson in the beginning, and then you move on, and Turok gets his own little part, like I mentioned with Poachers and the uh, and the Triceratops and stuff like that. And then you've got uh, Mangus gets his part, where he, actually his part's the most interesting part because he's actually t- trying to protect a government official, and something goes down that he almost gets killed in the process. Okay. So I think that his story is kind of the story that stirs the drink, especially since it kind of... It's it's almost like Batman versus Superman, but not in a bad way because everybody has their own little piece of the story. But then at the end, we go back to Mangus and Manhattan. I mean, Samson and Manhattan, and something happens that ties that story into one of the other stories. Here's a question: Whenever you're dealing with somebody like Samson, you know, who has that kind of a back backstory. Is this more of the he sees something but nobody believes him because he's the crazy homeless guy and then it turns out to actually happen? It certainly seems that way. Yeah, he's, oh. There's definitely the uh, – like the cops get called on him and stuff like that because everybody's like – and it almost looks like he thinks like a car is a giant caterpillar kind of thing. Right. And it's not really clear though whether it's actually happening or it isn't. So there's a little bit of ambiguity there or maybe he sees the world as it actually is and everybody else can't or something, it's very ambiguous. Or he could just be batshit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he could just be taking a whole bunch of LSD. I mean, it could be it could be part of that too. But um, So that's why it's really hard to review this book because I don't want to give away anybody's pieces of the puzzle because they're very much introduction stories. So there's really not much to review. It kind of tells you who they are, what their abilities are, if they have them. And it doesn't really necessarily say who's part of the story. But and so it's going to be kind of a short review. The art's really good, though. I will say that that uh, Brent Peoples does a very good job on the on the art. So I, the, there was definitely nothing lost in the translation there. The writing was good for the parts that it was given. So the only thing I can really do is give this book a pickup because okay. I enjoyed the individual stories, 
But at the same time, there wasn't enough of the, hey, we're the Gold Key Alliance kind of thing to give me a reason to say, this is a pull. You need to add this to your pull now. I'm not saying it won't get to that point, but there was no like coming together. I'm not gonna lie. At any point during this book, the, the the name Gold Key Alliance sounds like uh, a guest service or like a premier club at like a hotel or sounds something. Sounds like, like a that. hotel convention. Yes, it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Join our Gold Key Alliance and get new thousand Egyptian linen sheets. Actually, what's funny is there's a Gold Key PHR hotel organization here in our local area. In <laughs> no, no shit. So, <laughs> not that I want to give them a plug or anything, but that that happens. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So, yeah. so it was a pick a few. Well, James, here's the thing. I mentioned that I'm going to do my review a little bit differently. And, well, let me – I got to kind of slip into care if you don't mind. All right. I'm going to give you a couple seconds. All right. You know, change into whatever you need to change into. All right. So, James, like, you've seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, right? Totally. Okay. Well, I read the most excellent of comics from Boom Studios. It's Wow. Yeah, it's Bill and Ted go to hell, and I'm doing number two. I wrote an, an most bodacious review for issue one. It's up on our website, downrightpodcast.com. But it's written by Brian Joins, and the artist on my Bacon, and Bacon makes the most grooviest, most excellent panels you've ever seen in your life. Okay, totally. I, can't, I can't do something because my throat is starting to hurt. <laughs> I really tried. I was, I was hell-bent. I'm like, I'm going to go the whole review as Ted voice, but I just I was can't. really going to hope – I was really hoping you were going to get to Socrates. Uh, I, I, I was really I, hoping I you were going to get there. Dude, it's like I, I don't smoke, but it felt like I smoked like 20 cards of cigarettes <laughs> right now. And that's why we don't do Frustrated Granny on the show anymore. Exactly. <laughs> well, Frustrated gran- Granny is in hell right now. So. <laughs> well, then there's that. So anyways, building off of issue one. Uh, Bill and Ted, we all know they get the, the old game together from, uh, most, you know, Bill Ted's excellent adventure, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Billy the Kid, everybody. And the reason why they do that is because Death, the Grim Reaper, has been kidnapped by two of the people from hell that was in Bogus Journey. Of course, we're talking about the old grandmother, uh, for, for Bill, and then Ted, of course, had the Easter Bunny, and they, they, Prince dragged Death to hell, and they're like, okay, he's been kidnapped. We got to get this group together and go save him. And that was from issue one, right? That was from issue one. Okay, yeah. So we get to issue two, and we find out who is in charge of hell right now? Napoleon. And he turned hell into a giant water park, which is phenomenal. That's great. And so pretty much, you know, this is legit. This series, the four-part series from Boom Studios, it legit follows Bogus Journey. Like, legit. And it's really, really cool. It does a really good job. And the writing is just its phenomenal. It's, it has that 80s, early 90s feel kind of thing to it. Um, so pretty much Napoleon, this is where joins his writing does really, really well. He finds a way to trap Ted and Bill and the entire group into like their own personal hell. So second issue is pretty much each character gets their own personal hell. Wow. It's really intense. And the art is so good by Bacon. I mean, it really, really is great. And the writing is funny, uh, you know, and it's really, really cool. So, you know, it's really, really awesome going reading this because, again, it feels like such a great extension of the of Bogus Journey. And the, the thing is, is, you know, it's very linear as in terms of, okay, Napoleon's the bad guy here. We need to stop him. Again, this whole series 
It's really, really fun. I can't really go too much into depth because I, I don't want to, like, go panel by panel what it is. But pretty much you find out Napoleon's just like, hey, I'm a ruler. I want to rule. It's kind of my thing. So he talks about, you know, pretty much setting up the devil and taking him away, which is hilarious. And it's a really fun, fun book to read. Again, if you're a big fan of Bill and Ted, the movies, you're going to love this book. This is a definite pull for me. So it's the most excellent of comics. Totally. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for what we're reading. But coming up next, oh boy, it's the most bodacious, most anger-filled, probably most depressing review we've ever done on this podcast. A review of Batman vs. Superman come up next on a totally bodacious, down nerdy podcast. Whoa. This is comic book creator Brian Bucciolato, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you know, they say that there's two things that you should never talk about with your friends and family. That's politics and religion. I think we should add one more to the list because it seems like there's been so much controversy surrounding this movie that we've been waiting for for a long time, Nick. It's time that we give our review of Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Tell me, James, you, have you ever edited film before? Because this movie will make you want to learn what not to do in film editing. I've never edited anything but, like, family movies before. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that, uh, and, and even then, it's like, maybe we should bleep out Grandpa dropping the F-bomb. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm, wait, I'm picturing you dressed like uh, Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation up in your attic with... Watching like home movies on like a reel to reel, pretty much. I make that look good. That look good. <laughs> that dress that he wears, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stay warm, uh, however you can, kids. <laughs> and then your son, and your son being who he is, just pulls the rope chain. And you go falling right through the ceiling. That's exactly how it would go down. But man, but- I understand what you're saying, and you know. There's been a lot of reviews about this movie, and of course, right. we, we wanted to wait to give a spoiler-filled review for everybody's seeing it, if, judging by the numbers, everybody's seen this movie, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, let's not do what everybody else has been doing. I mean, it's okay. not going to be a bash fest, it's not going to be a love fest. How about we start off positive? Let's just talk about stuff that we, we really liked about the movie. Okay, well, I'll say this, and for me, this is really the only positive thing I can really say about this movie is... Ben Affleck is by far and away the best Batman I think we've ever gotten. He is the Batman that we've always, always wanted. Even the Bruce Wayne that we've always wanted. Uh, he really, really nailed this. And I'm really excited for the Batman solo film. Because when him and Jeremy Irons are on, on the same screen together and they're just going back and forth, you really feel that connection. It really, really feels organic. And, you know, and, I, and here's the thing. I know people say, well, Batman kills people in this. Yes. But here's the thing, though. Go back to all the other Batman movies, even the 60s TV show. Every movie and TV show he's been on, like talking about the Adam West and all the movies from Tim Burton's first one to this one, he kills people in every one except for Batman and Robin. It's one indirect. way or another. And it's, and it's indirect. indirect. That's yes. what people don't understand. You don't, you don't really think about that because it's indirect. But, you know, when a car blows up, there's people in it if it's moving, so right. what do you think happens to those people? Or, you know, when somebody falls down that, uh, when like in the Burton movie where the guy falls down the bell shaft, or, what do you think happens to or him? Or on Guilty Pleasure Batman Forever when he throws all his coins in the air and causes Two-Face to fall to his death. Right, exactly. So, I mean, and the whole guns thing, guys... Dream sequence. Yeah. Relax, okay? Yeah. I realize that, you know, we don't like seeing Batman holding a gun or shooting a gun, but remember, in Nightmares, it's our greatest fears about ourselves. okay? And 
I'm sure that's one of Batman Bruce Wayne's greatest fears that one day he'll have to cross that line. So dream sequence, just relax on that. But I totally agree. I mean, he's the first one. And I think I could say this pretty confidently. He Ben Affleck's the first one to get Batman and Bruce Wayne right at the same time. Right. Right. And again, I think what was smart was he didn't do the Christian Bale. It was voice modulator. So like, yep. okay, cool. So the entire time he's not growling through the entire movie as Batman. And that is one thing that I like that they did do. We, you know, we'll talk about how the, this movie explains or doesn't explain things as it goes along. But right. Think about it. That's one thing that they got out of the way early. You saw them working on the voice modulator. Alfred and, uh, and Bruce Wayne were vo- working on the voice modulator. So that tells you, hey... Batman's voice is a voice modulator, so you know where the actual Batman voice comes from. So, got to give him a little credit for that. Okay, now is there anything I know? So that was really my only positive thing in this movie. Is there anything for you that was positive? Or? Um, I know that I know that as far as Wonder Woman goes, we have a little bit of a disagreement. We'll get to that later. I just think let's talk about the character itself and and her presentation. I think that Gal Gadot was fierce. Yeah, as Wonder Woman. I mean, clearly, if you had any fears about Wonder Woman, put him to bed because she was absolutely amazing. The action, her just allure as Diana Prince as well. I thought that she was great. And I think that I can't wait for the Patty Jenkins film now. I mean, I I think that it's going to be amazing when she gets on the screen and gets to do her thing, just her. And and I know that, you know, we're going to get into kind of, you know, some problems that you had with her, but her as the character, you got to admit, she was awesome. Well, I'll say this. I'm really excited for Wonder Woman move, for the Wonder Woman movie. However, I will say I think Gal Gadot is a great choice. Uh, I but however, I feel that the way that they used Wonder Woman in this movie, they didn't really give her a lot of meaning as to why she's there. All we know is that she's there to get a picture, but then again, we don't know what significance this picture really has. Even when it's revealed what the picture is, we don't really get our stand of like why, you know what I'm saying? Well, then, it's because she's like it establishes that she's like a hundred something years old. I understand old. that, but I think that you know there's there's there wasn't really much depth of reason as for putting her in the movie. I think that had Wonder Woman been before Batman vs Superman, I think that which I think it should have. I think it Wonder Woman should have probably even been the next movie. Maybe even after Suicide Squad should have been the next movie. But there was there's a lot that. With Diana Prince, even when she was Wonder Woman herself, there was a lot missing, I felt, when I'm looking at her on the screen. I'm like, okay, how is she here? What is up with her? Everything else. And I know that the Paige Jenkins Wonder Woman movie is going to answer all those questions of how she got to the other side of the world from some scare on the Amazon, stuff like that. But without having any of that background information on her... You really are are lost as to why she's there. And and I'll tell tell you why they put... I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just going to try and tell you what I think they were doing. I think that what they were trying to do with her was she's the there's others person. She was the there's other people with powers. There's other people with unexplained... And that was for Bruce Wayne to find. Because remember, as far as Bruce Wayne knows... Now, we'll get to why this might be a problem a little bit later on. But I'm just trying to explain this one specific point. As far as he knows, Superman's the only one. Right. So now this is the there's more and maybe they're not all evil and maybe they do serve a purpose kind of thing. So this was she was the there are others character. Now, whether that was a waste to use Wonder Woman in that kind of way is is debatable. But the thing that I didn't really like about Wonder Woman and this has had nothing to do with Gal Gadot. 
was they kind of tried to make her the detective. Now, yeah. not that she's incapable of that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you have the world's greatest detective in the movie. And he doesn't do anything really. Outside of the whole server thing, the server room with, with Lex's house, that's really the only detective work he does in the movie. And once they get to the Batcave, he does a little bit of backstory about the about the ship and stuff like that. Yeah. So there, there is a little more, but I agree there wasn't quite enough. And I think part of that was is that it's Batman versus Superman with Lex Luthor and Wonder Woman and all this other stuff. So, you know, you put more of that stuff in and suddenly you're talking about an ultimate cut, which ends up being three hours long. So... I do think that that was the one thing I had a problem with with Wonder Woman is that they kind of put her in detective mode, and that's not really how you want to use her in this setting. Right, and I think that, you know, now let's kind of go to what we really didn't like. And again, I I start off by talking about the editing with this film, and the editing is really, really bad in this. And here's my problem with the movie in general. You go there's a store there's a video online you can watch. You go on YouTube. It's Trey Parker and Matt Stone, who are of course the creators and writers of South Park. And they were talking to a, I believe a class about what good storytelling is. And they said, good storytelling is when you have this event leads to this event, which causes this event, and so on and so forth. Bad storytelling is here's an event, here's an event, here's an event, here's an event, and they're in no way, shape, form connected. And with that, with this movie. There really is no connection between a lot of the scenes because, you know, first thing we'll see, we'll see like Batman doing something. And all of a sudden it's a scene where somehow Clark is talking to his mom on the farm on a starry night. And it's like, what the fuck just happened here? You know, and in a sense, as a, as a moviegoer, you're confused as to what's going on, what you're really watching. See, in the beginning, in the in the beginning, I'll agree with you on that. I think that in the beginning, it was a little choppy because you're trying to at least tell two separate stories, if not three, if you want to throw in Lex Luthor, and we'll get to him a, lo- a little bit later on, trust me, if you want to throw in that third thing. But I think towards the end for me, because we watch movies differently, and I think people right. kind of realize that um, in listening to our reviews, because you actually went to school for this. I'm like, hey, let's go watch a movie and be entertained, guy. So... I think that towards the end, it started to come together. And I don't know if it's because I'm a DC guy and I just put the pieces together because, you know, this is what I'm familiar with. Right. Or if it actually did come together. And I guess that's depending on our point of views that's debatable. I do think that it came together towards the end, but I agree the first part of the movie was a little all over the place. So I'll give you that. And I, I think there's way, A, I thought there was way too many dream sequences, I think. Um, and, and, and also, I'll say this. With the movie itself, here's here's one of my other my biggest issues as far as the story goes. When we were before this movie came out, we were saying, okay, the reason for his Batman Superman rivalry is because of everything that happened in Man of Steel with him destroying the city, pretty much with the Zod fight. Cool. However, as the film goes into its two and a half hour, two hour, forty minute runtime, you find out that nope. That's not the reason. The reason is because Lex Luthor has been pulling strings saying he's been doing this. He's been pretty much saying he's been – you know what he is? He is pretty much that guy who goes to the school saying, hey, see that guy over there? He's been talking shit about you. You should go fight him. And he goes to the other guy. Hey, hey, he's been talking shit about you here. He thinks he's the reason you're – he says you're the reason your family died. You know, you should go fight him. And then they fight. Now, there are three – major story arcs that this movie tries to bring along and mix. The third one, we both know what it is. We'll save that for later. Right. It tries to take World's Finest and meld it together with The Dark Knight Returns. Now, what made the 
rivalry between Batman, Superman, and Dark Knight Returns so great is because Batman saw Superman as a thing of the government where you know Superman says, well, the government says this is the right thing to do, so it must be the right thing to do, and that kind of causes the fight. And plus, they've had a history together. Right. This one, outside of the incident, it takes place 18 months after Man of Steel. Right. There really isn't much of a a history between Batman versus Superman. Right, and here's the thing, though. They had it. You know what I mean? In the beginning of the movie, when you see Bruce Wayne speeding through Metropolis, right. and all the devastation of Man of Steel, it's like, they had it. It's like, okay, we're actually going to get what we expected, but then Lex Luthor makes the hard left turn, and all of a sudden the movie's about something totally different. So it's like right. they had it. And they lost it. Now, I will say this about Lex Luthor. If you do a little bit of digging, and if you think about Lex, and we'll get to who I thought was the worst part of the movie. Well, we'll get to, we'll get to Lex in a second, but yeah, there's something I want to say after this, but go ahead. No, go ahead. If we're going to get to Lex next, then we'll just go ahead and okay. finish out this stuff. Uh, well, well, my thing was, uh, you know, you had this thing with Batman and Superman and, and everything else in the whole, you know, this causes, you know, their fight. A problem with me is with this movie too is that it couldn't get out of its own way in terms of it eased tension way too easily. For example, the scene where Superman's at Congress and Congress blows up. Well, if when I saw that, I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna blame Superman for right. this. That's cause, what I thought too. And it's gonna amp up Batman, Bruce Wayne's hatred for Superman even more. Nope. We we get what do we get? We get a news story, literal, literal news coverage saying, hey, Scoot McNary's character who ain't scooting anymore. Is fucking, uh, he's the causation for the reason why the uh, Congress blew up. I love the and fact like, that they gave a guy named Scoot no legs, by the way. Pretty much. Um, you know, it, it's just, I'm like, oh, God damn it. You diffuse the situation in ways you shouldn't have. Like, you, like, it was building. It was kind of building nicely a little yeah. bit. And then you, they find ways to diffuse it. They took like, it away. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, I agree. I was a little bummed about that, too, because I thought the same thing. I was, oh, they're going to blame this on Superman. That's messed up. And then they didn't. I'm like, oh, that was such a missed opportunity because that would have been so cool. But here's one thing. Since we're on the subject, I want to get to this now. All right. Here's the biggest problem with this movie. And I actually enjoyed it, by the way. I want to get that out of the way right now. But here's the biggest problem with this movie. As a DC fan, how I felt. You have a Batman that has been doing this for over 20 years. And And a Superman... That has been doing this for 18 months. Right. So there's there's a huge disconnect there. And there's no... And I'm not saying there has to be canon for this. You can tell whatever story you want in a movie as long as you tell it well. We've mentioned that many times. But when you have that much of a disconnect there, you cannot make it The Dark Knight Returns because it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Exactly. Like I said, that, that was a big problem with this is that the, the, the reason why they fight isn't the reason why they... F- you know, we, we thought we think and, they're going to And that's fine, but give me a good reason. Not, uh, the, not that defending your mom was not a good reason, but you well, know. we'll get to that later. Cause that kind of, that's one thing that kind of pissed me off a little bit towards the end. But let's get to something that kind of both really kind of pissed us off, and that was, God damn it, we had so much hope for Jesse Eisenberg. We we're like, okay, maybe you know, maybe he's playing us all aloof, and then towards the end, he's going to get all serious. Nope, he's very ticking. He's very Riddler-esque. He tries so damn hard to be a caricature and be Joker. And it's like, you're Lex Luthor. Stop it. Just he, just stop it. Here's the problem with this character. And if you do a little digging, you'll find out that it's not quite what everybody expected it was going to be. Again, 
Not an excuse, but follow me on this. If you look, there's articles, like phony articles that they wrote for the movie to kind of promote it. Yeah. He is actually not traditional Lex Luthor. What they tried to do, and again, do enough digging and you'll find this out because Zack Snyder's kind of said this. They tried to blend Lex Luthor traditional with Alexander Luthor Jr., who has those quite now i hey like i said i'm not agreeing with it i'm just telling you what they tried to do and there are the if you look up alexander luthor jr it's the master manipulator and there's a lot of stuff about alexander luthor jr that came true in jesse eisenberg's character the problem is you can't mix these two characters no and also you just there's something there's a, there's a word you said that me even as a moviegoer i'm like Fuck Zack Snyder on this. I shouldn't have to dig and look at read fucking articles right, right. to get a character I should be getting when I just go into the screen blindly knowing what I'm going to see or supposed might expect to see of Lex right, Luthor. Right. You know, like I'm not supposed to see like read a fucking fake Forbes article saying he is this. No, fuck that. I'm sorry, and that's the only time I'm going to do it. Did Marvel do that for fucking Iron Man when you saw all those articles on him? No, fucking no. And it's like Lex Luthor, he is this billionaire, power-hungry dude, and yet you, you turn him into this Riddler mixture with Joker, and he's just very like, ooh, Batman, you should be your parents, you're going to go fly to him, and you're going to do this. Oh, God. Yeah, you, can't, you cannot mix these two characters, and quite frankly, that wasn't the greatest uh, Alexander Luthor Jr. either. So I just think that total swing and a miss on Lex Luthor. If I had a least favorite thing about this movie, it was, it was Luthor. I thought he was awful. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, when I saw that, I'm just like, Oh God. Um, you know, something that, that bothered me too with this. And we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier is the fact that Superman's not alone. And you were right on this. We do get the flash. We do get Aquaman in here and we do get cyborg, but they're all very brief cameos. And I know here's something that bothered me. Uh, just to talk about Marvel a little bit. It's not really much of a comparison, like which movie's better, but this is more just how the how these big when you introduce these bigger characters, how it was. Kevin Feige said we felt that we shouldn't introduce a new character into the universe through dialogue unless we felt it was earned. And the way that they do it in here, where it's just Wonder Woman clicking through files of each one, it felt very unearned to me. And it kind of felt kind of forced a little I bit. I mean, too. I understand what you're saying. My guess is is that they already had those names, and Lex found out about them, and they just happened to be. But again, that goes right back to your point of then why not do that first? Right. Kind of thing. So if all of these, let's say all the solo movies happened before Batman versus Superman. That's kind of a mistake because you can't really do that. You can't put the cart before the horse. Well, no, but what I'm saying is what I'm saying is you don't do the, those movies in Batman or Superman. You could do those movies then just lead out to a Justice League movie or something like that. Well, I mean, you can introduce them too. That's fine. But it was the way they did it that made it seem like uh, that, that it created a question that didn't need to be created. It's like, okay, are they, have they existed right. for a while? And where'd you get this information? And yada, yada, yada. So it's creating another question that didn't need to be there in a movie that's full of them, quite frankly. So that's just one more thing that they threw in there that didn't really need to happen. I mean, you want to do the cameos, fine, but don't give – if they did just the cameos. Right. But they didn't show you any names, how would you have felt about that? 
Like no. if they had video footage, but it didn't say Aquaman, it didn't say Flash. If it was just the footage of all the characters, but they left the names out, would it that would have been a little felt, better? No, it would have. To me, it would have felt even more kind of crowbarred in in a sense because here's the problem too. Now that we know that they know that all these people exist. Here's the problem. What happens when we get that that lead up, that thing that happens where it leads into Justice League? You know what I'm saying? Like that final ending shot where it gets us pumped for Justice League. Now, you know what I'm saying? I bet certain characters, I think, especially when it's an ensemble like this, are better off left off in the shadows until it's their time to come because what's happening then, you're building this amp. You're amping it up like, oh my God, when are we going to see them? When are we going to see them? And then you see them like, oh my God, they're here! And then... You know, but now seeing like we got a, a good snippet of the Flash during a dream sequence, and I'm not buying Ezra Miller as Barry Allen. I'm sorry, I know it's only well, a snippet. Jury's, yeah, jury's still out on that. But he, I think he'd be a good Damian Wayne because that's who his character, how he, his his characteristics and everything is. I don't buy much of a Barry Allen, and I think his suit looks too metal and and and, and techy. But other than that, I think I, I just think that just, it just felt really crowbarred in. And well, the one thing I do like about it is that now we don't have to go through a half hour, 45 minutes of them discovering all these people and that they exist before we actually get to them forming the Justice League. So that, you want to get it out of the way in this movie so you don't have to waste time on it in Justice League? Well, I, I understand that. But we're still going to have that, though, because now Batman's been written an article since that he's going to be the one that puts them together. So it's kind of like... Either way, it was going to happen. Yeah, but now he knows they exist. He doesn't have to discover that they exist. They would waste time on that in the Justice League. He doesn't have to discover that they exist now because he knows. Now he just has to go get them or force them to come to him, being Batman, you know, because that's what Batman does. I don't know. I think there could have been a much better way to recruit them. I'm not not disagreeing with that. I'm saying that, you know, that's one thing that we won't have to worry about dealing with in the Justice League movie now. I think, okay, now now here's, now let's get to, I think, the big culmination of what we're getting to with this review. Um, The third, and like I said, this is a big giant spoiler review, so here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. The big final arc they try to cram in here, which I felt was so crowbarred in here, Death of Superman. And 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 when I saw Doomsday, I didn't really think of Death of Superman. I'm like, okay, maybe we'll have him, and he'll go away, and then he'll come yeah. back. But they kill fucking Superman. Well, and When they went to space, I thought, okay, he's going to throw him onto another planet or something. Right. Deal with him later. Let's go back, take care of Lax, yada, yada, yada. Doomsday will come back at some point. But no, you're right. They do the whole... Death of Superman, and of course, it's the it's you know done similarly, you know, where it's a double fatal blow kind of thing, Kryptonite, and I agree, I it just did not need to be part of this movie, and I understand that the reason for, I understand the reason for it was that they wanted Batman to form the Justice League, but you didn't have to kill oh, Superman and, to and, do that. And here's the thing: is that what we say in, in comics when it comes to deaths, they feel they feel a lot more cheap nowadays. So. Why kill fucking Superman when we know Justice League is coming? Like, why? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, if you're gonna, you know, it, it makes zero sense. Yeah, because the thing is, is that now I know you see that at the end of the movie, the dirt rising with the casket and all that stuff, but you know he's gonna be back by Justice League, and that seems pretty quick. Because remember when this happens in the comics, it took him what ten years? You know he's to gonna recover be back. or something. You know he's gonna be back by the end of the movie because you see the dirt. Flying up right, that's, that's, that's what I was just saying. So, and in the comics, it takes, I think, 10 years before he actually recovers from that blow because, you know, he's underground, there's no sun under there, and all this other stuff. So, 
I get it. I get why this is a little bit of a disconnect. And again, it's one of those deals where you kind of wish that they didn't do it because it's the same disconnect of Batman having done this for 20 years and then you've got Superman who's only been doing this for 18 months. Because, okay, if you want a young and experienced Superman, fine. I've got no problem with that. I actually think that's kind of cool. But you have to have a Batman that's at least on a close to the same level. I'm not saying it has to be zero year, but it has to be a Batman that's at least close to the same level because you can't have that disconnect. And I think that one complaint that we had a long time ago was that Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice is a bad title. I think that without any other criticism of this movie, the title of this movie doomed this movie from the beginning. Yeah, because again, going back to the Batman vs. Superman thing, first of all, Batman, homie is literally seconds away from stabbing Superman through the chest with a kryptonite spear. But what, and this is what kind of pissed me off because it really cheapened everything. It's like, he goes, you know, he's like, Martha's going to die. And then Batman flips out. Why'd you say that? Why'd you say that? And then Amy Adams goes, because his mother's name is Martha. And I'm like, and he's like, oh, cool, man. Let's go, uh, let's go uh, save your mom. And then she goes, and he goes, oh, I'm a friend of your son. I'm like, motherfucker, you're about to stab him in the chest five seconds ago with a kryptonite spear. But what stops this whole rivalry? The fact that both their names or other mothers are Martha. Are you shitting me right now? Okay, see, this is where you and I kind of deviate a little bit. Now, I agree that that's not the greatest way to stop the fight, but the whole reason they showed the Waynes getting murdered for the 60th time at the beginning of this movie is because of that. That was their, as you guys in the film industry like to say, callback. That was their callback moment where what is Batman's greatest regret? It's that he could never save his parents even though he was a boy and there was no way that was ever going to happen he was never able to save his mother and father or anything Hell so it was a tri- it was a trigger dude he couldn't do it at that point it no, was a trigger he did, the way they built it off man was he's like martha's gonna die and it was more of like your mom's name's martha my mom's name my mother's name's martha let's be friends that's I what it was i don't know if we quite got to let's be friends that's right what, after no, that because, no it was because when he saves Martha Kemp, talk about Batman, he saves her and he says, I'm a friend of your son's. This being five minutes after he was about to impale her son. Well, what did you want him to say? I was going to kill your son. Then I realized your name was Martha. So I guess we're cool now. Let's get out of here. It's I don't think that would work out too well. <laughs> it's like, and I'm sorry, but you're telling me that Superman can go save a chick in a death parade from jumping off a building or whatever. But yet... He can't go save his mom, like, really quickly when Lex has no tracker on her or anything? How's he going to find her, though? He's fucking Superman! He, she wasn't talking or anything. It's not like he, he could have heard her. fucking vision! He can't know where to look to use it! Tell me he can't scan? You can't scan even... the entire world? Every it's building? fucking city! The movie was already long enough! <laughs> Jesus Christ! You want to have a, a a a a short of him searching the entire world, every building in the it's, world, it's, for it's, his mom? It's not a building. He says she was in a building in the city. Like he knew in like, what city? <sighs> exactly in Gotham City. <laughs> he didn't know where she was. Uh... And he had bigger fish to fry. Apparently, <laughs> he yeah. had more important things to deal with. 
But I, I just, I just think that a lot of that was just, again, it was one of those things where the movie tr- really easily was like, here's how they really easily, I think, lazily ended certain conflicts. I'm like, oh god, you know, I, I just, you know, and going back to the doomsday thing, that whole part could have been cut if you had ended it with Lex maybe getting in his giant robot suit or what something, something with Lex outside of Doomsday. That would have been it. Like, like by the time Doomsday shows up, the movie's pretty much all but over. And so it's just tacking on. It's like, we got to have a big fight at the end outside of the Batman vs. Superman fight. And it's like, ah, eh. it, it didn't work for me. Like, you know, I mean, it was cool to see, but in terms of the story thing, it just didn't work for me. I, and, enjoy, I enjoyed the fight, especially since Wonder Woman kicked ass. Well, I but mean, I mean, she, she basically held everything off while these guys were trying to figure out what the hell they wanted to do. But and here's a here's something too. I wonder if you you picked up on this. So Amy Adams, Lois Lane, throws away the spear that's made of kryptonite in the water. Right? She was not in the huddle when they were discussing how they could defeat Doomsday. So how does she know to go back and get the spear? And that's going to be of great importance. I don't think she should have touched it in the first place. What? Why she touched it and did anything with it? I don't understand. What? What that function was at all? She shouldn't have touched it at all. I mean, what good did it do to throw it in the water? And I don't know, but here's the thing too: is with that spear, I to me, to me, what was the big thing people complain about with Man of Steel, even this one, that Superman isn't really that heroic in this. That there wasn't really that big defining heroic moment. I think when he does with the spear and to, to sacrifice himself and stab Doomsday with it, I think that was I, I don't say cheap, but I think a lazy way to kind of have that superhero moment in a sense. Knowing that was going to happen with Justice League and everything else, you know what I'm saying? I, I get it, and I mean th- this is a different take on Superman, and either people are going to get used to it and accept it. Well, or here's not. the thing. And, I mean, but, it's it's just going to be different. But here's the thing: is a Superman, and we talked about this off air. The problem I have with Superman in this whole universe is that Superman, in any iteration, whether it's Dark Knight Returns or whatever, has always been that beacon of light in that darkness. In the movie, especially like this one, you need to have that beacon of light to kind of maybe pull things together and say, hey, we need to do this kind of thing. Superman was not that, and that's what his character is built upon. He's built upon, you know, you know, true justice in the American way, and it wasn't that. It was, He wasn't that beacon of light that, that he was supposed well, to be. I mean, think about it again. He's only been Superman for X amount of time, so he's still got that unsuredness of himself. And it's hard to be a beacon of light when you're not even sure if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, I mean, here's some frame of references. Go back and read – for those who haven't read it, go back and read Superman Earth 1. Go and read uh, Peace on Earth. Read All-Star Superman. Even read Death of Superman. Even though that's a little bit further on down the line, you'll see how they do it in the comics as opposed to how they do it in the movie. And I think the funeral was the cheapest part of that. Oh, God, yeah. And and, and I want to talk about that. And this is why I hated they they put Death of Superman in this. I was talking to our friend Matt Slay over the weekend, and he said one of the – he said, what's the most crucial and – grabbing parts of that entire thing. The Justice League no, carrying out the casket. Yes. And, and he's and that that was it. And he said it wasn't Superman's cape being torn. It wasn't, you know, him being held at the end. It was the entire Justice League carrying his casket, which was the most iconic moment of that book. And we were robbed of that. I think we were, because they killed him off and the only way he's gonna come back and that's the problem. You don't kill off a character when we know what's coming next. You know what I'm saying? 
You know, I mean, in, in comics, you kind of know they're coming back anyway. But, but, you, that's comics. but, 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 <laughs> but they, they could have handled it differently. So if they wanted Batman to assemble the Justice League, have Superman do something. Like, okay, I have to go. Have Superman be a thing of like, well, he's been where he's where he's been so depleted by this battle that he's like, I gotta go spend time in the sun, and then he comes back. You know, what I'm or saying? or again, let's go back to what I was saying earlier. Say he throws Doomsday into another planet. Right. He's got to go back and deal with Lex Luthor. But then, once that's all done, he's got the whole, you know what? I better go deal with Doomsday on wherever he chucks him. So he's got to take off. So then, who's in charge to assemble the Justice League? Right. Batman is. Right. And they said there was different, many different ways that this could have been handled. I think... <sighs> I didn't hate this movie. I think it's a bad movie. I didn't hate it. I didn't walk out of this movie like I saw when I saw Star Wars. When I, was, I was pissed when I saw Star Wars. We know why. But uh, this, I didn't, I, like I said, it's a bad movie. I just didn't hate it. So I think it's time for us to give our reviews. Okay. I'll, have you go, I'll have you go first. I mean, I had problems with it, sure. But I, I really did enjoy it. I, I sat there and I was entertained. I enjoyed myself. I, I think that they they told their own story. I'll say that. I wasn't going into this thinking this is going to be just like this arc or this arc or this arc. They told their own story. It was a little jumbled in the beginning. I thought it kind of gave, gave itself together uh, towards the end there. Ben Affleck was amazing as Batman. Jeremy Irons, great Alfred. I love the gruff, angry, kind of grumpy Alfred. I loved that. I thought their byplay was good. Um, Gal Gadot, Beautiful as Wonder Woman. Fierce, amazing job. So I got to say that, and everybody thinks, oh, he's a DC homer. Here it comes. Okay, as a regular moviegoer, I enjoyed this movie. I will watch it again. I will get the ultimate cut on Blu-ray. First of all, because I have to see, now I have to see the missing pieces to see if it makes any sense. But again, I enjoyed this movie, but I'm going to give it a... Six and a half punctured Superman out of ten. All right, well, so here's my take on it. Ben Affleck, great. Jeremy Irons, great. Gal Gadot, even though I didn't give her much to do in here, I felt she shouldn't really bend the movie at all. I still like her portrayal of Wonder Woman. Think she's going to do a great job in a solo film. Everything else I felt was a major problem. I wouldn't be surprised because Justice League is Zack Snyder's final uh movie of his contract if they replace him going forward after justice league i would not be surprised i'm giving this movie three bleeding marthas out of ten which one um <laughs> the one that's dead <laughs> all right i guess that's fair <laughs> well i mean and again i'm not saying i didn't enjoy it but I, even i and i've been called a dc apologist and dc homer on this show a bunch of times i think i deserve some credit for Pointing out that there were problems with this movie and not making apologies. I, I think I deserve a, a, a little, little mini golf claps or something. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, wait, you can't do that. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, well... <laughs> Fuck you, buddy. Fuck you. <laughs> Go to our website if you don't know why that's funny. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but that's going to do it for our review of Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. But coming up next, we have a bunch of nerd news to talk about. Stay tuned. This is copywriter Oli Masters, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time to put on our capes and our cowls and see who's we in charge of certain books in DC's Rebirth. It's time for what? Nerd News! Again, our first story deals with DC's Rebirth, and the creative teams have been announced, and they were announced at WonderCon over this past weekend. And we're going to start off with the first 
hero, I think, that, you know, we just talked about him in our last segment in Geek Tamment. Talking about Batman. It's something that we called, and we kind of kept to ourselves for a while, mm-hmm. is that our good friend Tom King is going to be in charge of the main Batman run, taking over for Scott Snyder. Oh, it's going to be so great, too. Of course, if, you, if you're not, if you don't remember from our previous episode, of course, Tom King was the writer on Grayson. Yep. He also did a whole bunch of other stuff. He does Sheriff of Babylon. For Omega Vertigo, Man. Omega Man. I mean, he's just ex-CIA, amazing writer. Who better to write the world's greatest detective, other than, of course, the great Scott Snyder, than Tom King? And then I'm so excited. Let me look at the art team. David Finch and Mikkel Jannon yeah. in a split art. I mean, this is two of the best artists in DC right now. No offense to Greg Capullo, who did a fantastic job on his run. But if you're going to follow up Greg Capullo, you get these two guys. So I'm very excited for that. And then, you know, you move on to Detective Comics with James Tyne in the fourth, Eddie Barrows and Alvaro Martinez. Yep. And that's going to have all kinds. I mean, you're going to have spoilers going to be back in there. Tim Drake will be back. Cassandra Kane, Clayface will be in there. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much everybody, a lot of people from Batman and Robin Eternal are going to be yeah. in this book. Yeah, which is great. And I mean, we're not going to go through piece by piece of who's going to write what because that would take forever. But, right. Um, we do have a change for Batgirl, though. I did want to point that out. The Hope Larson's going to take over Batgirl. But yep. our boy Rafa Albuquerque is going to be back on Batgirl. Exactly. Not about that. Exactly. You know, of course, you know, Scott Snyder and John Romita Jr. Pretty much were brought on stage to announce All-Star Batman, which will pretty much bring in some cool continuity from Batman's biggest villains as well. And, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting. And then, you know, we move on. Something that kind of piqued my interest is, is Superman. And the reason why is because, well, guess who's writing the main Superman run? Peter J. Tomasi is going to be doing it, and Patrick Gleason is going to be doing it with Art by Gleason and Doug Mankey. So that's got my my entry because Tomasi is such a good fucking writer. He's phenomenal. And and I've got to point out one thing that I was also very excited about. Greg Rucka is back yes. from DC and back writing Wonder Woman. But i got to talk about Liam Sharp for a second because, you know, I kind of found out a little bit of the backstory of him. He's a guy that's been in the business for a long time as an right. artist. And he's kind of been in the shadows. And he's like one of those people that didn't really get noticed and maybe should have noticed. And if you go to his social media pages, this guy was just so stoked, genuinely stoked to be a part of this book. So I just like it when good guys get their shot at the big time like this. And I think that working with Rucka is going to be great. I think that they're both going to bring a really good Wonder Woman book and one that I'm definitely interested in. In, in checking out. I just like it when guys that have deserved their shot for a while finally get their shot. You know what I mean? Exactly. You know, and then, you know, I, here's my thing. Um, my, my, we all know my, my favorite DC character is Green Lantern. Yep. I love Green Lantern. Now, granted, the latest runs haven't been the best. They've featured Hal Jordan mostly. Uh, but Robert Mendeity is staying on. The main Green Lantern, the Green Lantern title with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corpse are, of course, going to be done by Ethan Van Skyver and uh, Rafa Sandoval. But here's what I'm actually more interested in. Remember how I, we were off my guy said, you know, I really want to see a good book with Hal Jordan. Well, Hal Jordan hasn't really been the best lately. So I said, right. you know what? Let's see if they can do something different. Well, they are. And this is, a, I think, the Green This, I think, is going to be the Green Lantern book that I do get. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be one by Sam Humphreys, who's, of course, joined the. Uh, DC Comics for Green Lanterns with Rob Robson Roca and Adrian Saif, 
which is going to be featuring new Green Lanterns uh, Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz defending the Earth from uh, Trocidus and the Red Lanterns. Now, keep in mind that uh, Baz was part of the, the, when they did Justice League United, he was part of that. He was also part of Forever Evil, and he right. did have some parts in the Justice League. And remember, Jessica Cruz was brought in post-Forever Evil. She ended up with the Power Ring, and we've talked about Jessica Cruz on the show before. And I like that they're kind of pairing them together because they're very much different personalities. And and they're both still kind of, I, you know, I got to do it. They're still kind of green. Ah, uh, yes, they're, yes. They're still kind of green. So, I mean, I, I like that they're pairing them. But other than the Justice League titles and stuff that just jumped right out at you, was there anything that you saw in the announcement that made you go, you know what, that looks interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, they had Nightwing in there, and I mean, I still read the Deathstrokes, I'm probably going to go with the, the new Deathstroke runs that they're going to be doing. Nothing really stuck out to me. There was, is one thing I didn't like, and I wonder if you uh, want to hear about what it is I did not like about yeah, what did you not like? Well, Jason Fabok joined the panel, and he announced that in Justice League number 50, uh, by, of course, himself and Jeff Johns, that we're going to finally discover the Joker's real identity! Oh God! No, no. 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 I, I, I don't want to say I don't care because that's flippant and that's that's not really. No, how I, feel. I just, I just think to me, it's like that's one of the best mysteries ever, man. Like it's not necessary. No, it's problem. not. And they're gonna do it by you know Batman sitting in the Mobius chair and finding out. Oh my God, is this person like? Ah. Which they, which they already did. Here's the thing, guys. He already knows who it is, but he just hasn't told anybody. Yeah, he's already been in the chair and seen who it is. Why do we, the fact that he knows is enough for me? Yeah, you don't need to tell me. And you're right; that's one of the greatest mysteries that there is. And and I I understand why they're doing it now. I just don't think the reasoning is is correct. Right, right. I I, I don't. And and that's that's part of the problem for me. But I mean, it's happening. Nothing we can do about it. Uh, I tell you what, if you're gonna do it, you better make it worth our while. Yeah, it better be good, and it better not be something like Dick Grayson was was the Joker or something like <laughs> right. that. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like you know, it's like Ar- it's. I go back to the whole Arkham Knight thing. What ruined Arkham Knight was when Rocksteady is like he's this new, interesting, and original keyword original character, right? And then it turns out to be Jason Todd. Yeah, and you're what like, kind of crap is that? What the hell? You know, like you know, and and, you, and the thing is, you, you figured it out halfway through the game that it was going to be Jason Todd because they did the whole you know death in the family thing, and uh, you know, but just make it worth our time. But I just think it's something that's just it's not necessary. No. I don't. I, one thing I don't understand is what certain comic book, uh, uh, well, actually a lot of comic book uh, publishers is the need to reveal. And, and, and tie up their greatest mysteries and their greatest storylines like this. You know what I'm saying? But that's the kind of society we've become, unfortunately. Well, and it's sad. You it know, is everybody... sad. It, I agree. But that's it's like we can't leave anything to mystery anymore. And part of that's because of social media, because everybody shares every part of their lives. I know what half of my friends eat every night for dinner. Yes. You know? So it's like we have to reveal everything now. You really don't. Yeah, you you don't, man. You really, really don't. And James, you have something that's kind of been bugging you lately, so I'm going to give you the mic and you're going to go ahead and say what it is. I mean, I was looking at not just the the teams myself, which I'm impressed with most of them, not all of them. Uh, So I'm excited to see what Rebirth is going to hold, and maybe it's not a true reboot. I guess we'll have to see once things get up. But a few things I saw people on social media complaining about that kind of bothered me was somebody pulls out the, oh, there's not enough diversity in the writing and the art teams for these books, DC does it again. I'm like, really? Do, are we? Do, do we have to do this 
every time, with everything now. I mean, hire the right people for the job. How many times do we have to say it? I mean, don't just force diversity down our throats. And maybe somebody's going to look at me and say, you're trying to say there's not enough diverse writers to cover these books? That's not what I'm saying at all. Maybe they weren't interested. Maybe they weren't interested. Maybe they had too much on their plate and said, listen, I can't do it. You know, our friend Nicholas Scott's going to be part of the part of the new right. Rebirth team as well. You know, here's the thing. Again, we've, we've harped on this so many damn times. Listen, diversity is great. Diversity is awesome. But it's something you just cannot and should not force, especially when it comes to pumping a lot of money into a new comic series. You can't be like – like, for example – Look at all new, all different Marvel, right? Look at what they did with their characters, how they made it so diverse. Well, what happened? Sales are highly down because they didn't do anything original. They just swapped things, made right. things more diverse. Right, they with the characters, it. with the yes. creative, with the creative teams, which yes. is my, which is my beef is with the actual they, creative. They forced team. it. They forced it. DC is doing a smart thing and they're saying, "Hey, let's just get this person works for this. This person works for this." Again. It shouldn't matter what you look like or who you are as a person. If you do good stuff and good work, hey, guess what? You should be recognized for that. Who gives a shit? Right, you know? and, and maybe maybe there's people that just want to work on creator-owned books or would rather just work with Dark Horse or with Boom Studios or, or even, even Marvel. Or even Aftershocks. Yeah. Like that. Does it matter? I mean, I, I don't think it does. Just because it, it doesn't mean it wasn't offered. You know, it doesn't mean that they didn't go to this person and say, hey, would you write, like to write this Rebirth title? And they went, ah, you know what? I got this going on. I got this going on, this going on. I just can't. You don't know that that's not what happened. So you can't – don't come out and be like, oh, well, they didn't even try when you have no idea what's going on. I, that just frustrates right. me. I had to get that off my chest. Well, the thing is, too, is we have friends. We know people that work over at DC. So it's like – we know we kind of got an idea how stuff works over there, you know. Yeah, we've got we've got a lot of people that we know at DC, not just that work with DC, but that work for DC. Yeah, everybody seems pretty happy. I yeah. mean, it seems like a nice place to work. So don't don't act like you know, like you know DC and what they're doing behind the scenes, because some people do and some people don't. So I'm just saying, don't don't act, don't talk about something you don't really know about. Exactly, and, and you know, speaking of something that people might not know about, well, I mean, I don't know how they can because it's been going on for the past six years. Is Disney's D twenty three Expo, which of course pretty much is their reveal event for everything in their Marvel universe and their Pixar universe and Lucasfilm and so on and so forth. Well, that mostly for the time being, at least for the past six years, have been in mid August, right? Right. So. Since the D23 Expo, they haven't been at SDCC a lot. The Marvel's presence hasn't really been there. Well, they announced that its biannual convention will be presented July 14th to 16th in 2017 in Anaheim, California. Now, why did we talk about that date? Because that scheduling puts it less than a week before the expected dates of the 2017 Comic-Con International in San Diego. This is a big power play by disney and this we is, shouldn't be surprised this is, at all this is disney literally taking this is mickey mouse taking out his dick throwing it on sdcc's t- desk and saying what that's what it is that's literally what it is to put it a little lighter than that <laughs> <laughs> this is disney and marvel telling san diego we don't need you anymore oh well, yeah that's exactly what they're saying they're saying we don't need you we are big enough on our own that we don't need you we don't need hall h 
We don't need any of that. We need right. you for our comics and for our TV stuff and animation stuff. And that's and that's pretty big because you know from what I'm, from the numbers I'm reading right now. Again, the date has been confirmed for SDCC. However, an unnamed four-day quote convention with trade show of 130,000 attendees, or most likely be more, uh, has been scheduled at the convention center July 20th to the 27th of that year. And we know what it is. We know what it is. You I mean, know I mean, what, 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 is. It, what else is, is it going to be? It's not going to be BronyCon. It's not going to be furry a furry convention. It's yeah, going to be – oh, God. The fact that there's probably over 130,000 furries is just – oh, God. That, that but, could happen. <laughs> Oh Jesus! Oh, it's 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 like a build a bear orgy in there. Jesus yeah, pretty Christ! Much, yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, this is a, this is a definite big power play for Disney. And but you know what's great about this though, in a sense, you know, we reviewed Batman vs Superman: Dawn Justice earlier in the show, and and here's the thing: Disney's doing this, but it's nice to see Warner Brothers isn't doing this. Yeah. That new line that a lot. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. glad to see that. They're not going that route because Disney, I think the reason why Disney is doing this as well isn't really, like I mentioned before, where they're just taking their wang out and just throwing and saying, look how big we are. It's them pretty much saying, we see what happens at the con, how stuff gets leaked. That, I think that's that. the big one. Yeah, that's the big one because that, now they can control everything themselves, which is totally Disney and stuff that they want to do. That is exactly the biggest part of it, I think, that the reason that they're doing this. And I can't really blame them no. for doing this. I mean, based on their success, they have every right to be able to do this. I know, and I know Warner Brothers has has a thing that they do as well, but they're not going to ditch San Diego for their event. They, right. they still know that they need... Uh, and I, th- I think Marvel, to an extent, needs San Diego Comic-Con. But the, the way things are going right now... And what's and what's San Diego Comic Con going to do? Be like, well, if you guys are going to do this to us, then you're not welcome. Okay. Well, well plus remember, DC recently moved their all their offices over from New York to Burbank, so right. it's in a sense they're still in the acclimation process of the West Coast and California right. and make you know everything being all in one spot now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's still a very important thing for them. But again, you know, you look at what happened last year with the whole Deadpool trailer getting leaked out and all this other stuff getting leaked out in terms of trailers and everything. Uh, yeah, Marvel saw that and said, "Listen, we have a way to control things now. We, you know, can check people at the door now. We have a much better way of vetting people too, making sure that nothing's getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing. You know, it, it, so it's, it's more, I think, quality, more, more damage control or quality control. I think in terms of Marvel and Disney, what they see. And plus, like I said, this is a way for them to bundle their animation studios, the Marvel and Lucasfilms all together and say, here's what we got." Here's the trailers for some of them. Here you go. And quite frankly, it's more eyes on every part of their product. Because let's face it, there's certain media outlets that still don't take comic book movies seriously. And there's certain comic book outlets that don't take, you know, Pixar animation necessarily seriously. So you've got everybody in the same room. You never know when somebody's going to see something that goes, hey, look at that. Well, maybe we should start covering that now. Right. But not to mention that. Again, this is all eyes on Disney. Like this is right. like they don't have to share a hall with anybody else. This is their own. There's no thing. scheduling conflict or anything. Yeah, this is uh, this is also smart by them because when you look at it, where are they now in their phases? They're getting towards Doctor Strange. You're getting yep. towards a lot of characters not a lot of people know about. So you need these types of events, even though Marvel's a huge thing and it prints money. You still need something like this to say, hey. 
we got this movie here for Doctor Strange or whomever these you know lower level characters right. are. All eyes are on this now, so it's it's really important, you know. Right, I totally agree. But now moving to our last story here, James. Now we both, of course, have college degrees for different things. Right. I played college football, wasn't on scholarship because of the level of competition I played at. But could you ever, when you were back in the eighties and you were maybe applying for colleges in the nineties or whatever, expect to get a scholarship for playing video games? Nope, never. Well, if you, right now something pretty cool because by the start of 2016, of course, six different private schools have already developed scholarships based on League of Legends and hundreds of more student run clubs have dedicated to it as well. Well, the University of California, Irvine announced this Wednesday that it will become the first public university to launch a League of Legends esports scholarship program beginning this coming fall. And what's cool about this is Riot Games, of course, the developers behind League, will be supporting the move by funding a new PC cafe on campus for all students to use. It's going to be actually built in the model of Korean PC cafes and will offer, quote, premium League of Legends experience uh, and other games are going to be available as well. And this is really awesome because the scholarship also will be offered to 10 students for four-year rides. And then, of course, like in sports, when those people are graduated more people come in. Right, exactly. And I, I think that this is a move that is signified by how much people are making with their online gaming videos and stuff oh, like yeah. that. And how gaming has evolved even more than it ever has in the past. I mean, this was the time to really start doing this because gaming has gotten to a level that I think a lot of the hardcore gamers and developers always hoped it could get to, but never really thought it would, and now we're here. People are making money playing video games, so mom and dad can't come in and necessarily say, hey, don't waste your time playing all those video games. It'll never amount to anything, because like, hey dad, I'm making a million dollars a month just having people watch me play video games and competitive competitive video game competitions. So uh, maybe you'll let me play a little bit longer kind of thing. Right, and esports industry now... I don't want to have a discussion, is it a sport, is it not a sport? We're not having that discussion. Yeah, it's debatable. It's, it's, yeah. it's debatable. But here's the reason why you, you hit it on the head, is that it's been reported to grow from its $278 million in revenue in 2015 to a $765 million industry by 2018. This is, of yeah. course, according to forecasts from the research Zoom firm Nuzu. So, again, you look at you know a parallel – College athletics. Now, again, we're not saying this is a sport or what it's not, but you look at college athletics and all the money that they make for the schools. Look at all the money that this that esports is making right now. You're telling me that schools like California, Irvine, and all the other you know private all private schools are aren't looking at this saying we should get a you know, we should have a team. We should maybe have who knows maybe the NCAA will somehow say hey here's an oh. esports thing. God, don't let them get involved. I know. But I'm just saying, <laughs> but it, it could lead to like because right now no, we're, I see what you're saying yeah. because we're seeing schools have like 30 team leagues pretty much, so like they're kind of like going against each other. It's really cool. So it's 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 really cool to, to see something like league get this to this point because remember 
this is a game that like people literally sell out stadiums to go yeah. see and watch people play yeah. this and like yeah. Dota 2 and everything else. So it's really, really amazing. And ESPN and Fox Sports are covering this stuff. So you can't ignore it. And that's the thing is that in journalism, you can't be like, oh, we're above people playing video games, watching people playing video games. Listen, I still kind of don't get the the uh, attraction of watching people play a video game. Right. I don't get it. Maybe as time goes on and this gets bigger and bigger and bigger, I will. But I don't. But, hey, it's big. You can't ignore it. Nope, not anymore. And I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you one word. Sponsors. Yes. There is so much money. And before you start to say, well, who would sponsor this kind of thing? Mountain Dew has a game fuel flavor specific to certain games when they right. come out, okay? I remember when I was in college and they first came up with the orange game fuels for Halo. Yeah. And I'm, and, and I'm like, it was Livewire. It's called Livewire. And Game Fuel Livewire. And I'm like, oh my god, this is this is great. Yeah, and, and PepsiCo is a huge yeah. company. And you got, you know, of course, GameStop and other things. But you got, like, Sony and all these other big, yeah. big, huge, huge, like, Motorola. Like, all these, like, listen, tech companies. We are in a tech boom right now. Like, yep. huge. Like, technology is amazing right now. So what has the most money? I have a lot of stuff. Tech companies. Guess who's sponsoring a lot of this stuff? Tech companies. And then you've got gaming PC places like Alienware that are yes. going to want a piece of this because it's going to be like in NASCAR when you say, okay, who's under the hood? Chevy? <laughs> Ford? You're going to see got, on the back of that I computer got, it says I got, Alienware. I got I got to tell you, that, that Lenovo, I got to be get up the post-match interviews. I got to tell you, we, you know, that Lenovo 5000 PC, you know, it ran yeah. really hard all day. You know, we had a good day behind the, the Tell H- me that. Tell me that won't happen. Yeah, we had a big day behind the Hewlett Packard LVC twenty four. You know, I mean, it was it was just a good modem, a good day. You know, the RAM was going good, the download speeds are great, as were the uploads. And you know, I used that last potion. I felt, you know, hey, you know, I, you know, if I use this last potion, I could go home, win, and have myself a nice Mountain Dew. You know, tell me that won't happen. Oh yeah, (laughs) it'll totally happen. And and I think you're going to start to see. You mentioned ESPN and Fox Sports. CW even broadcast a MKX tournament not too long ago so that's cbs parent company so i mean people are starting to take it more seriously because i think people are starting to open their eyes and you know it takes people a while to accept certain things as viable i think companies in and media companies are starting to see that video games becoming a much more viable industry for programming than they ever thought it was going to, and you need to start taking it seriously. Exactly, that's going to do it for nerd news. But uh, I'm still I'm waiting right now. All the messages from like computer gamers, like those are real fucking computers, you noob. I'm really waiting for that. <laughs> Alienware is real. Yeah, Alienware is real. Well, so is Lenovo and AT&T. Well, well, I know, but I'm saying like the models <laughs> and stuff like that because you know how people get. But, you know, yeah, let's but, start talking about the coolant systems as well. Exactly, right? <laughs> well, that's going to do it for Nerd News. Come up next, speaking of programming, a new program is actually coming out tonight at 10 p.m. is Winona Earp. It's making a series premiere, and guess what? We have a lot of people from that show right now. We have, of course, Bo Smith, the creator, Melanie Scrafano, the lead actress who's playing Winona herself, and Emily Andros, the executive producer. They're coming out and talk Winona Earp on Sci-Fi Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. Hi, this is Greg Rucka, comic book writer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's a full house this week on the Down and Nerdy Podcast because we're headed to Purgatory and talking about not just Winona Earp, the series. It's coming to Sci-Fi this Friday, April the 1st, but also the new comic from IDW as well. When I say full house, I mean it. We've got creator Bo Smith, 
We've got Emily Andress, who is the showrunner for Wynonerp, and Wynona herself, Melanie Scrifano. How's everybody doing? So good. I'm doing We're amazing. Yeah, we well, all eat breakfast. Doing good. Doing great. That's great to hear. So we're coming off of WonderCon, and of course the show premieres tonight at 10 p.m. on Sci-Fi. What are you guys feeling right now? What's going through your mind? Elation and terror. <laughs> <laughs> and hunger. Uh, I second that. Like 24-7. Yeah. Um, I'm pumped. Yeah, we had a really great response, and, um, you know, it was really cool to be there before the show aired because we we got to do feel very very busy and important but then um we also got to walk around you know completely anonymously and just enjoy the the con although most people know who bo smith is because he is a god i don't know yeah. if you guys. how can you not know who bo smith is and how can you not spot him in the crowd i know exactly <laughs> Hey, you know, six foot four, blonde, handsome. I look like Laird Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally know who that is. <laughs> well, speak- I'm not googling him right now. No, definitely not. He is a surfer. He is a surfer who posts ridiculous workouts in men's journal. He's like, why don't you run with the medicine ball underwater? You'll love him. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. Nice He's choice. Pretty much Bo Smith. That's all I can add to that. that just I didn't like know you paddleboard, standing paddleboard. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, no. Bo does. Bo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Bo and, of course, the creation of Wine on Herb, a couple of you might have seen this because we kind of went back and forth on Twitter for a while, but when I did a review of Bo's right. uh, number one for Wine on Herb, I described it as, in her world, as Deadpool meets Dukes of Hazard. So, oh my God, that was my favorite review. Oh, thank you. And I'm not just saying that. I laughed so hard. I was like, if we deliver even 10% of that promise, I'm going to give you money. That was <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that now. Yeah, there we go. This is, this is being recorded, too. You guys are in trouble. That's but, it's Canadian money, so it's like, well, yeah, uh, no, you just you ruined my entire day now. You just ruined yeah. my entire day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but how would you guys kind of describe, each of you describe Winona Earp? Uh, you know, while well, it's cheating because Bo created her, but how would you guys describe her? Yeah, yeah I would just say she's uh, just somebody everybody would want to hang out with, and she's just rad. She's funny, and she's vulnerable, but she's really strong and yeah she's just sort of who you'd want to spend a friday night with we're talking to Bo Smith, Melly Scrifano, and Emily Andros from IAW and Sci-Fi's Winona Earp. The series premiere is tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central on Sci-Fi. So Bo, at the end of the first issue of Winona Earp, you wrote about how you helped direct a scene with director Ron Murphy and just the excitement that it brought you. What are some things from that experience you've taken away as both a writer and a creator and how do you look to apply those things going forward with the series? Well, I tell you, it, it's um, uh, it, it's been really uh, a great experience as far as creatively because not only getting to be on the set, but Emily and everybody has involved me in most everything from auditions and, and uh, early scripts and stuff since, since the beginning. And it's really been a great cheat sheet for me to start the new series because I'm able to take all this ingenious stuff and all these layers that not only Emily and, and Melanie and Sam and Shamir uh, uh, and Dominique have added to these characters, but 
I'm also able to get this new feel of Winona Earp in her, we'll call it her rookie season, because I've always written her 35 to 40 years old in her prime, and this is this is the Winona Earp that is still wandering down a couple of paths that may not always be the right ones, and she may not always make the right choices, but the thing that, that Emily and everyone with the cast has brought out with Winona Earp on the screen is, my gosh, the potential is there when you see that potential for what on Earth's going to be later on surface in these really crazy situations. You just think, oh man, I am so glad I'm here on Ground Zero, and I can hardly wait to be there when you know she's definitely fully in charge. So it's for longtime comic book readers, this is going to be a great experience, and for new television writers, it's going to be you know Ground Zero for them to get in on Wine on Earth. It's funny, Bo, because you say longtime comic book readers. A lot of people might not, might not realize that Winona Earp's been around for 20 years, and in that time, she's kind of battled everything from mummy hitmen to hillbilly gremlins. And now, actually, in the show that you guys are adapting, she's battling the resurrected souls of criminals taken down by her grandfather, Wyatt Earp. So how fun is it to kind of play with that, for everybody to play with that catalog of characters, to have that at your disposal? Oh, Emily, you could you could probably really speak on that. I mean, this is this is your landscape right here. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, it's um it's amazing, right? And um it's it's a little bit intimidating when you're. I mean, the thing about the comic that's so great is they really cover every type of monster. You know what I mean? Like Bo really talks uh, in great detail about how the Black Badge is in charge of kind of investigating paranormal crime, but also putting you know the super, super uh, natural creatures and, you know, paranormal witness protection program. And I love how he talks about how there's a hierarchy in the comic, like zombies are the bottom and demons are kind of the top. So, um, you know, TV is definitely a different medium. So we really wanted to focus the first season to make the concept a little bit easier. So for the most part, with some very delicious exceptions, in the first season of Winona Earp, Winona is really just fighting these demons we call revenants. And these are really the outlaws that Wyatt put down every single man he ever killed coming back from hell in demonic form. And she's got to put them all back down again um, or else the curse just happens again and again and again and again and again. So everybody's kind of in this circle. It's kind of, they're all trapped in the same curse, the same prison. It was, it's amazing. It's a dream come true to be able to kind of look at this palette of supernatural creatures and, pick and choose the funnest one and think about a way to do them in a way that maybe feels a little fresh and unexpected. Um, and then of course, give them sort of the Western, the modern Western treatment. I mean, what do these demons look like nowadays? So mm-hmm. it was a gas and we had an amazing prosthetics team, um, you know, an amazing special effects house called intelligent creatures who are great uh, out of Toronto. So, you know, I've been doing this for some time now, but I still, absolutely gasped when I see the final results of how these creatures look. I'm pretty thrilled. So plus she has a really magic gun yeah. which is pretty kick ass. So Oh, it is a very, very kick ass gun. So Melanie is the woman who gets to use the peacemaker, when you read a script, what are some traits and characteristics you look for in a character and what is it about Winona and the comics themselves you love the most? I don't know. I don't know that I read scripts and look for anything in, in particular like I just sort of go am I is this interesting and like does my imagination get peaked and if it doesn't then there's no point like you just put it down and walk away 
and with Winona, it was just like, I think it was a mix of like the way Emily writes is just, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I know how this sounds. Like I know, I know how to do that because I think we have a very similar sense of humor. But then also there's something so great about being able to play such a funny character and somebody with such a great sense of humor, but who uses humor like it's not just humor for the sake of humor. Like there's also just like she uses humor as sort of a defense. So it's really nice to be able to balance the humor, but also the drama of of uh, this show. Like you you don't. It's never fun just being super dramatic or just being super funny. Neither of those are particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. But when you get to combine them, it makes for some really fun work. Definitely. And of course, I mentioned Wyatt Earp earlier. That's kind of quite the name to live up to, even in the modern era for Winona. So question is, and feel free for anybody to jump in on this one. Do you guys think that Winona feels like this is a family legacy, a family curse, or maybe a mix of both? Well, it's so fun, right? When you have a character with a last name Earp, there's certain expectations. And that's one thing that really um, attracted me to the comic. I mean, um, also just Bo's writing and the characterization of Winona. She's just honestly one of a uh, kind character. But, um, I mean, Winona on the TV show is not a born hero. So regardless of the fact that her last name is Earp, there's a lot of irony there, right? There's a lot of expectations. But Winona is like a bad, bad girl when we meet her. So there's something really fun about forcing her into taking up this legacy I think when we start out, it is 100% a curse. I mean, the other thing about Westerns, which you guys know, which is so interesting, is um, it's really about shades of gray, right? Like even Wyatt Earp himself and Doc Holliday, sure, they had deputy badges sometimes, but they also ran brothels and killed people. I mean, sometimes they wore the badge, but it doesn't mean that they didn't get drunk and do something naughty. So I was really interested in that idea of like, okay, well, if we stick a badge on this person who's not necessarily a good person, is that going to just make them good? How does that person get to decide who's good and evil? You know, are even all the demons good and evil? So living in those shades of gray is what's really exciting about the show, I think. At the same time, because Winona is such a mess, I think there is something, and she inherits this mantle. And I mean, it's like she supernaturally inherits this mantle to become the Earp heir, to become special, sort of the chosen one. I think deep in her guts, I would say Winona knows that this is her last shot at redemption. Mm. And the secret is, this is almost the first thing she's really good at. You know what I mean? Because she's so crazy and because she's so unorthodox and because she can think like a criminal, I think over time, our amazing 15 seasons, when we become the greatest selfish show of all time, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think we will see in season 21 that um, hopefully, there's not a jinx to say that out loud, out loud right now. I don't want to wait that um, long. <laughs> okay, we won't wait that long. But, you know, I think there's something to be said where, like, I do think that she will find out this is hopefully what she was born to do. Um, and again, maybe the fact that she comes at it not quite as a hero at the beginning is actually what's going to help her succeed. You know, I love what you just said about Winona. She is a bad girl. I mean, she's the type of girl who walks into a place, shoots first, and can't really ask questions because the monsters have bled out all on the floor. And as we all know, Winona has a great mixture of unique and witty characters as well. And as the season progresses, how will we see the dynamics of certain relationships change, particularly between Winona and Agent Dolls? And what makes her relationships so special? Yeah, the thing about uh, 
Winona and Dolls is that they're so <laughs> they're so completely different, and their approaches to it are really um, polar opposites. It's like you said, she she shoots first <laughs> and asks questions later, whereas Dolls is is really trying to do this by the book, and um, and it's a really it's, it makes for some really really funny moments that are just we're not trying to make them funny. It's just funny because of how different they are. Mm-hmm. But um, but but also there's that beautiful dynamic of they can learn so much from each other. And so, and, and then they can also maybe learn that um, they actually have a lot more in common than maybe they realize. And as they go through these really, really high stakes battles um, and they confront their own demons, um, I think inevitably that has to make, you know, in one way or another, make their, um, their relationship evolve and I think that's going to be really fun to watch but also just for Shamir and I to play I think uh, I think um, just on a personal level Shamir and I are are also very different but um, that's what makes it so fun to sort of come together and and realize that we actually have a lot of common ground so there's a lot of parallels between dolls and Winona and Shamir and I this was the first time that I got to see both these episodes with full special effects and music and everything. And, you know, even from watching the dailies, which I do constantly, this really made the story, uh, you know, come into view for me. And with what you said and what Melanie added, I was watching this as a first timer again. And what I was seeing was dolls and Winona are totally different. They do come at things from a different path. But also, for me, as again, and hopefully this is what viewers will see too, I see those two characters as catalysts for change for both. And that, within storytelling, which is what Emily has done here, is, and I can say from a writer's standpoint on my end, is you cannot, that is what you dream of as a writer, to have when you have characters that can be catalysts for change for each other and the storyline as well. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. You cannot steal that out of a store fast enough. So yes. I think this really, really brings it. And Melanie and Shamir just really uh, exhibit that in this. And it's, it's, it makes, you know, you think after 20 years, I mean, you get kind of tired of wine on earth. This, and you know, oh, no, this has been mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for me on a creative level that uh, borders on obscene. Absolutely. And, if, you know, we don't want to forget the Why Don't Know premieres this Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Sci-Fi. Now, I did want to talk to you guys again about the 20th anniversary. It's going to happen this mm-hmm. December when the show's when the comic's actually going to turn 20 years old. So the show's really, for me, 20 years in the making. So, Oh, thank you. That's anybody amazing. That, anybody that wants to jump in on this, um, what do you guys think makes this show stand out from some of the other supernatural shows that are on the air right now? Because I think it really does. Without even seeing it, I know this story does. For me, it is 100% just sheer attitude and also the landscape. I think just the West is so ripe for a revival with the supernatural Western, this kind of chrome extreme Western. And um, look, there are a lot of amazing supernatural shows right now that take place in really claustrophobic spaces. We have a lot of spaceship shows and sort of, you know, that kind of thing. This is the opposite. This is like huge vistas 
you know, we had the crew who did the Revenants and Fargo. There's something so fresh about this enormous landscape, you know, the myth of the American West. But at the same time, it doesn't matter if you can see a demon slouching towards you, you know, miles away, you're still not going to be able to escape. So for me, it's just, it looks so different than what you've seen on Sci-Fi Channel in a long time. And it's so fun, to be honest. It's just so fun. Oh, definitely, without a doubt. The series is going to be so fun to watch from everything we've seen from the promo videos and more, especially with the comics. But this question is for all three of you. As we all know, Bo recently stated in a promo video, he's a fan of the old Universal Monster movies. So, if you could have one of the monsters' brains on your mantle as a trophy, whose would it be and why? Oh, I can... That means, for me, Creature of the Black Lagoon. What a great without choice. A doubt, that, that, to me, was cinematically, it was a fantastic-looking movie, but at the same time, it had beauty and horror to it. And, uh, man, that would that would be the one for me, Creature of the Black Lagoon. Emily, you you go next, and then I'm going <laughs> to... Oh my God! <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I honestly do not know. God, I, I think I that is that's a that's a tough question like, to ask people that aren't nearly as old as dirt as me. You whippersnappers like, don't know enough about the Universal monsters. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my God! Like, see, I'm like Godzilla, and I'm like, that doesn't count. Um, I'm just gonna go classic. I, I. You know what? I will go. I will go Wolfman, and I'll tell you why. Because I love that idea that you can seem human and be one thing, and then be a complete monster underneath, and that you have no control about when the monster comes out. Like, just like nature will always win. Like a full moon's coming, mm-hmm. and you're going to transform and basically eat your whole family. So that's my <laughs> answer. I like that idea that within all of us is the capacity for. Um, you know, evil and hairiness and hairiness. I'm Hungarian, so let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Okay. I'll I'll give you an answer. Do it. Uh, Is it Dracula? Sorry, what? Is it Dracula? (laughs) I'm going to say, um, uh, um, uh, yes. That's Dracula because I, I'm I heard sorry, the best, man. like, I have no idea what the question was except for monsters because you guys, <laughs> you guys cut out. So I'm going to just be like, I heard something about having a monster on your fireplace mantle. I'm going to say Dracula because uh, we have a lot of black and white in our house and he would look really good <laughs> with the decor. Of course, then Emily <laughs> says Emily says Godzilla, so she's pr- apparently got a big-ass mantle at home. Uh, or Godzuki, or Godzuki, the mini Godzilla. How about that? Yeah. Uh, either way, it definitely works, and we can't wait for people to see Winona Earp. Of course, if you're listening to this on Friday, you're actually hearing it on the premiere date. So tonight, ten Yay. o'clock Sci-Fi. Check your local listings on that. Then we, well, what we want you to do. After you watch Winona Earp, you can actually get issues number one and two of Winona Earp from IDW available now, not just at your local comic book shop, but digitally. And Bo, correct me if I'm wrong on this, it looks like we're available April the 27th for issue three, correct? Yes, yes, definitely. And issue three even stands out uh, more than one and two because it takes place in uh, where I grew up in uh, Wayne County, West Virginia. So it's it's my my home state. Well, that's pretty amazing because issues one and two kicked ass, and we just know the show is going to uh, as well. We got the whole group with us: Bo Smith, Emily Andrus, Melanie Scrafano, 
Thank you so much for talking to us about Winona Earp today. Thank, Thank you, you so much, guys. Really great, really fun questions. Thank you. Yeah. Well, James, I bet when we're dead and gone, our kids are going to have our brains on their mantles as they get older. I mean, like Futurama-esque. Pretty much. <laughs> we're going to be like the Nixon of our kid's house. Or is every good, everybody just going to walk around like Krang now after in the future? Is that what's going to yeah. happen? Yes. <laughs> I'll torture you to do a 90 on your test. I'll, I'll surrender this world and I can still take you out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was fun, man. I had a fun time talking to everybody from Winona Earp. And it was just great to have... That ensemble of people, and people don't know this, this was three weeks, the month of the making, we were talking to Sci-Fi and IEW about this whole uh, discussion with with these with uh, everybody from Winona Earp, so uh, big thanks to them for uh, helping us set this up. Yeah, definitely, to put it together, and, and for people who don't know a little behind-the-scenes info, it's really hard to get three people's schedules, and our schedules, by the way, yeah. all kind of jive together, so we're just so grateful that everybody was able to come, and, and this is the kind of fun vibe that I think this show is going to bring, too. It's not just going to bring the the seriousness and the supernatural and, the, and the, I don't want to say zombies, more like creatures-esque aspect, but it's also going to bring a lot of fun stuff. And if you haven't read the Winona Herb comic from IDW series, oh, guys, do it now. go get it. I mean, whether it's digitally or at your local shops, issues one and two are already out. You're going to have to wait a little bit for issue three, but trust me, you're going to want to read the series. And there's and plenty of other back issues, too, that you can read. Exactly. And it's really cool to hear, you know, Bo Smith talk about what he's learned from that, you know, from just direct, just directing a scene, what he's learned, how he's going to put it towards, you know, a, his comics and, and, and his writing and everything else and how he kind of views things now. And it's really cool, you know, get all that background info and just, you know, what do people look at, look at going into a show like this? And how do, how do you differentiate being from all those supernatural shows out there? Not only that, but think about it. This book has been around for 20 years off and on. This guy's waited 20 years and he's finally getting his baby put on TV and in a way that he never really got a chance to tell. Remember, this is Winona Earp, like the zero year version of Winona Earp, which is a story he didn't really get to dive into. So even he's excited to be able to tell the story on the screen. And of course, it premieres if you're listening to this on Friday, which we think that you should be. If you're listening to this on Friday, it premieres tonight, 10 o'clock Eastern Time on sci-fi check your local listings if you're in another time zone make sure you're watching it live make sure you're reading the comics if you're not listening to this on a friday first of all shame on you second of all you can catch wine on herb fridays at 10 p.m on sci-fi and if you already missed the episode shame on you for a second time go find it on demand hulu whatever you got to do go find this episode and go watch it Exactly, exactly. And again, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Don Nerdy Podcast. We want to give a big shout again to Sci-Fi, IEW Publishing and IEW Entertainment, Bo Smith, Melanie Scrafano, and Emily Andrus for coming on and just talking about Winona Earp. It's going to be a great show. We're pumped for it. We're excited for it. The comics are amazing. But hey, you want more of those guys? Be sure to hit them up on Twitter and social media. That's where we are. We're on Facebook.com slash down and nerdy. We're also on Twitter at down and nerdy seven five seven. I'm at Merck with one arm, Mister Wilhelm. I'm at James A. Switham. That's W I T H A M. Speaking of at down and nerdy seven five seven, we're also on Instagram there at at down and nerdy seven five seven. But you can find all this out at downandnerdypodcast.com. You can get to all of our socials on there. We actually have the streams of our social medias right there on the front page. You can access all of our shows. But if you want 
this week's show in great detail, kind of like a guide to go along with the show. Click on the This Week section. It's got everything on there. We've got a couple more reviews that we did on the website as well. As a matter of fact, I did the new X-Men 92 series. And Nick, you actually did a Titan comic, right, that we're quite familiar with, actually. Yes, I did, James. I actually wrote a review for Issue 2 of Deus Ex Children's Crusade, of course, my friend Alex Irvine. Go read it up there. And again, just two really cool comics we reviewed this week on our website, DonnerryPodcast.com. Go read them. They're about three paragraphs long. Won't take you more than a couple minutes. And hey, you know he wants to do your wrong with our reactions, our reviews for him. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. We'll see you next week, nerds. And I leave you with this, as I do every week. Pray safe comic book reading. Always back on board your comics.